little helpers. Welcome back. Today we've got a different kind of episode. So instead of talking about a disorder, we're going to talk about a treatment. But really, the reason we're talking about this treatment is because it exemplifies the direction that our field seems to be going. And so we just kind of want to touch base and show you guys um, how psychology has been evolving over time. So this treatment is called the Unified Protocol. It is a treatment that I've done with um, several patients at this point. Kibbe is actually beginning a study where this is the the treatment um, for misophonia in this case. And um, it's something called a transdiagnostic treatment, which means that it's used to treat all sorts of disorders. Kibbe, can you tell us why that's so important? It's been a big shift. This transdiagnostic approach has been a big shift in clinical psychology. And I feel like people in research or um, just in the healthcare field really are so familiar with it. But when you talk to people who are getting treatment for things or you know, just patients, they it doesn't make any sense. So I thought it would be a good idea to explain what it is. But so we've been so used to thinking about different kinds of disorders, right? Like with the um, DSM, the way they classify different disorders is like you have depression, and maybe anxiety, OCD, like we really think of these distinct categories of uh, disorders. And actually, this is... (laughs) true to form this is why we did this for the podcast like every episode is like a different disorder right so it really is such a such a common way of thinking about mental health that we just kind of take it for granted but that um that has a lot of limitations because we found that there's so many disorders that are comorbid meaning they overlap a lot in the same people so it's so rare to really get a patient who comes in and say, I just have OCD, I just have anxiety and nothing else, right? Usually when people come in, they have one disorder, one problem that really dominates their life, kind of gets in the way of things and they want treatment for that. But more often than not, they have other things. They have, they get depressed because uh, things have been so hard with their OCD or they get anxious about their OCD. And so one person typically has, a, you know, maybe several diagnoses. And then what do you do, right? As a therapist, do you focus on one problem or do you focus on the person um, or you focus on maybe a core problem that that ends up in all these different disorders? So this kind of comorbidity problem and how common it is um, really alerted clinicians to like, hmm, okay, we can't just have a million different treatments for every specific disorder and then just play whack-a-mole, <laughs> go after them one or the mm-hmm. other. It makes sense to almost kind of see what's common among all of them and combine it to have a treatment approach where we really tackle maybe the root of the pro- of the several problems. So that's where the transdiagnostic approach is coming from. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense if you think about someone with depression. Like, it's it's not generally just one root cause. A whole bunch of things can be going on. They could be um, depressed about a major change in their life. Well, what often comes along with that? Anxiety. So, and then you have you have things like borderline personality disorder, which has nine different symptoms, but you only need to meet five, which means there are over two hundred and fifty different kind of profiles of BPD, like mm-hmm. different ways that this can look. So this kind of, um, this model where we treat psychiatric disorders as if they are medical disorders, um, like cancer or um, diabetes or something like that, it just doesn't make a ton of sense because it's not like when you see an anxiety disorder, you know, 
it's as clear cut as like finding a tumor. It's just, it's just different. So what that looks like, I mean, it's kind of then hard to picture then what does a transagnostic approach look like, but a lot of research labs have shifted um, in that direction anyway. Uh, for example, our lab, you know, we, t- we talk a lot about how we specialize in borderline personality disorder, but we actually target and really focus on this root, um, we call them process, like psychological process of emotion regulation, like how people respond and manage their own emotional experiences. Now, people with BPD, as we've said in, in other episodes, they have a lot of trouble with that, right? But so do people with depression, right? Like mm-hmm. when people get real, feel really rejected, uh, some people uh, feel a lot of pain and they respond to it with, you know, trying to, you know, soothe that pain with, you know, drinking or, you know, impulsivity problems, stuff like that. And that could look like someone with BPD, but it could also look like someone with alcoholism. So when we've done research, we've looked at, okay, let's do research on how to treat emotion dysregulation, like people who are, have trouble with this. And mm-hmm. a lot of our studies have looked like that, where we won't do just a study with just people with BPD, but we'll do a study with people with high emotion dysregulation. And like my dissertation was like that. And so we, you know, people had BPD, they had trauma, they had anxiety, they had all sorts of disorders. So that's kind of where we're moving to is targeting these like psychological processes, like rumination and worry is another process like that. You know, I said motion regulation or um, empathy, like problems connecting Mm -hmm. to others, right? So it's all these, it almost seems like more common sense, this kind of like approach to looking at one root problem and one difficulty that leads to a bunch of different disorders. Um, So it's almost kind of like returning to our origins. Freud was like the classic. Mm -hmm. um, He thought everything was based on one problem, right? Every (laughs) disorder was based on how you have like an unconscious conflict about something uh, that would explain like psychosis and anxiety and depression and hysteria, you know, back in the day. Um, So we're not as far as that where we think it's all about one, one issue, but it's definitely going, you know, we're kind of swinging closer to that um, approach. We're looking at like core problems. I do like it when Freud gets things right. Yeah. He's so maligned <laughs> these days, but he got so much right for he kicking really around did. in the 1800s. Especially like, he, yeah, how little like methods and equipment he had to study these things. He just kind of like, yeah. I mean, he was, he, you know, yeah, we, we want to pretend we really moved very far away from him, but he's, he, he was a smart guy. So yeah, he's you a know. freaking genius. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also think it would have been cool to practice psychology back then. That's a complete mm-hmm. aside, but um, Jacqueline <laughs> loves picturing herself in the, in the past. So I just imagine her as like this old Victorian woman, like doing, doing psychotherapy, like psychoanalysis, having people on her couch. Exactly. So, my, I want my office to look exactly like how an old Freudian office would have looked. KB found this out about me yesterday that I want to live in the past. So Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the unified protocol, or we'll call it the UP from here on out, is a great example of a treatment that is kind of aligned with this um, this idea. And so it's not trying to treat social anxiety or depression or OCD. It's instead designated itself as a treatment for emotional disorders. So this isn't completely transdiagnostic. I mean, we're not going to use the the UP to treat psychosis, for instance. Um, And it might not go far enough to treat something like BPD, 
where we already have a, you know, a great year long kind of full throttle program. But the UP is great for treating all sorts of anxiety disorders and, and mood disorders like depression. And instead of saying, you know, this is a treatment for anxiety disorders, it says that it is a treatment for emotional disorders that hinge on three basic facets. The first is that the people who typically have these disorders feel pretty big emotions. So they feel big highs, big lows, just there's some intensity to their emotional experience. The second kind of premise is that they don't typically like these emotions. They designate them as bad, you know, mostly the negative emotions like anger and sadness, but also sometimes the positive emotions. And then the third facet is that they will go to some length to avoid these emotions because they've deemed them negative. So again, you know, we might be thinking mostly about the negative emotions. So really pushing down, suppressing their anger, not letting it out in healthy ways, um, not allowing themselves to be sad, maybe punishing themselves for being anxious or sad, trying to do things that will, you know, avoid making them anxious. Occasionally we see this though with positive emotions too. People who are afraid of having positive emotions because that emotion might not last. Um, it, It might lead to disappointment. And so they'll kind of you know, avoid, um, avoid getting too excited about things. So these are kind of the three biggest things that define the population that is best served by the UP. And I kind of think of it as like a boot camp treatment, because basically what it is, is you spend the first several sessions getting to, uh, to know the patient and their presenting problems, which there's probably a whole bunch of them. My experience with the UP has been some with anxiety and primarily with misophonia. So we'll just use misophonia as an example here. Again, in case you missed the misophonia episode, um, misophonia is a sound intolerance condition characterized by negative emotional reactions to certain sounds, most commonly chewing. So basically people who get really, really, really upset when they hear somebody chew. I'll jump in and say that originally this uh, the UP was developed um, in, in Boston University um, for anxiety disorders, as you mentioned. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, it is kind of crazy to think about that we have generalized anxiety, which is defined as someone who gets anxious about a lot of different things. But th- then we have several other different kinds of anxiety. We have social anxiety and phobia and things like that. So we have a catch-all disorder, but then we have a whole bunch of specific disorders. So <laughs> they, they really developed it for anxiety in general. And it's it we always thought it was like a perfect fit for misophonia too because you know people with misophonia we're discovering in our research don't just have misophonia they have different kinds of disorders like they hear a sound the sound of chewing as you mentioned and then they'll have a panic attack because Mm -hmm. they're so distressed hearing about it so yeah so it's it's kind of like a nice fit for misophonia because it's that transdiagnostic approach where it's like okay what if we can treat not just the misophonia but something that leads to the misophonia and the anxiety and panic attacks, right? So, yeah, yeah. sorry, sorry to interrupt. Also, no, no, wait. I mean, you you also think about things like misophonia can lead to social anxiety because yeah. they're afraid to be around people who are chewing or they're afraid to be around people who are chewing because they're afraid of their own reactions to that, um, mm-hmm. afraid of being rejected for that. So, yeah, I mean, I have never had a person with misophonia come who didn't have something else going on as well. Mm-hmm. And so you're really, you know, you're, you've got a bunch of different targets. So this person will come in and I'll get to know their presenting issues. And then the next, the next time I meet with them, we'll talk about goals. 
And we'll really talk about also what are the pros and cons of being in therapy in the first place? Because there are cons. Mm -hmm. It's time consuming. It's confrontational. Um, it entails homework. You know, it's, it's real, it's real work to be in therapy. And sometimes it can feel easier to just keep going with a status quo. Um, and so, you know, you really want to kind of confront all of these, these beliefs or possible challenges that could come up and interfere with therapy. So you do that, and then you get to know their emotions, and you learn a lot about the, the functions of different emotions and their beliefs around these emotions, um, and kind of just get a sense of like, you know, what does this emotion do? What was it designed to do? And what kinds of thoughts, behaviors, and physical sensations might you have in response to these emotions? And then the boot camp part really is you go through a series of skills that have strong evidence backing their effectiveness. So there's a med there's a mindfulness module, there is a cognitive flexibility module, there's a physical sensations module where you learn how to get comfortable with these physical sensations that are probably related to these emotions that you might be avoiding. And there's an emotional behaviors module. And then you end the whole treatment by doing a series of exposures. You're exposing yourself to the emotion you've been avoiding, but you're using the skills that you've gained through this treatment to prepare you for these exposures. And then the last day of treatment is just figuring out how to consolidate what you've learned and, you know, keep it going so you don't need your therapist anymore. Man, that was a really nice, succinct description of it, Jacqueline. Oh, I hope she, so. Thanks. She's, <laughs> she, for everyone listening, Jacqueline's gotten really good at this treatment. And uh, I recently talked with one of her former patients, and she, like, raved about her. And, um, <laughs> and it was cute because it's, you know, it, it, the Unified Protocol, as you just laid out, has a lot of a lot of components of a lot of good treatments out there, a lot of good CBTs we've mentioned before. Skills-based, right? In the beginning, you talk about the why. Why are you doing this treatment? What does it, what kind of life um, would it help you lead, right? So like, what, what are your goals? Like if you reduce your anxiety and misophonia, what what would what, what, what that give you? What benefits would you get? And then, um, and learning all these different skills to target a lot of the core transdiagnostic processes that maintain anxiety disorders and misophonia, which is they're in a situation, it brings up a lot of fear or anger or distress in some way, and they run away from it, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's like phobia of a dog or flying, or if it's misophonia, these people are feeling intense emotions that are overwhelming in those situations, and they do everything they can to avoid it and run away, which over time just maintains the problem, right? You, it, running away doesn't actually make that fear go down over time and actually makes it worse, as I mm -hmm. mentioned. So it, it's nice. Like, There's a nice kind of CBT that really lays out all these different skills to tackle that and help people bring awareness to it and slowly um, build coping mechanisms that are different from just avoiding. They could, you know, approach it with some acceptance. But, yeah, it was really nice to hear – Jacqueline's patient just like raving about her and raving about the treatment and saying that she used to feel like emotions were controlling her. Like she, mm -hmm. she would be in different kind of situations that would bring up her like restaurants or other kind of public places that would bring up misophonia. She would just be so terrified to hear certain sounds. And when she did, she would have to leave. So she just felt like she was 
like in the passenger seat watching her emotions kind of drive her life. Um, and so that just like feels so limiting. You feel so out of control. And these kind of skills helped her feel like she's back in the driver's seat. And I thought that was really nice. Like that it doesn't make things go away. It doesn't make mm-hmm. her, you know, misophonia go away entirely, but it just helps her accept her emotions and not have to run away. Um, and that changed her life a lot. So that was a good shout out to Jacqueline, but also <laughs> this transagnostic <laughs> approach that, um, that we're talking about. Yeah, I think that's really the goal, you know, is to get people in the driver's seat because we can't get rid of negative emotions. We wouldn't even want to because they're important. They tell us really important information about what we need to do to keep ourselves safe and healthy. Um, but it's it's when we feel like these emotions are unbearable and that we can't cope with them that we start running into problems in our lives because then we are avoiding living like really important parts of our lives and we're also doing this thing where we implicitly tell the emotion that um it's more powerful than we are that we can't handle it we can't cope and and then what we do is we start looking for things to try to make the emotion better. So like one thing that often happens with people with flight anxiety is they will have a safety behavior like lucky socks or something. And they'll go on the airplane, they'll have their lucky socks, they'll get off the airplane, they'll say, oh, thank goodness I had my lucky socks. Else I wouldn't have been able to deal with this. Maybe the plane would have crashed. And what that does is it tells you that you can't cope. It's your it's your socks that are coping for yeah. you. Yeah. And so there's just all of these sorts of instances that come up and the UP really goes after them and says, like, where are you undermining your own ability to handle your life and to handle these emotions? And then it targets them and then it takes them away. And it says, no, actually, I believe you're stronger than you think you are. And you can, you can do this yourself. And it's, it's immensely, it's immensely empowering. Like my patients after this treatment have really, I mean, uh, you know, especially after these exposures have said things like, you know, wow, I'm stronger than I thought I was. Um, I guess I'm better at coping than I thought. (laughs) This really wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, and, and I've heard the word empowering over and over again. So it's really cool. I know that, that, that the UP has um, all these different kind of skills, right? You mentioned like mindfulness and working on your thinking and exposures. Do you, in your practice, in your experience, have you seen one set of skills or module that really hits home? That's really like the favorite or the most effective? Not necessarily. The one that I've heard multiple times is the least helpful, but I've got a point here because I think that's a little bit ironic, is the module on physical sensations. Basically what you do in this module is, you know, we often think about emotion in terms of how we feel in our minds, like racing thoughts. Um, Yeah, we just think of anxiety as like a mental process, but actually there's a huge component of it that's physical and we just often ignore that. And so this module I think is actually crucial because what it does is show you that maybe one of the reasons you're avoiding your anxiety or other feeling is because you don't like the physical sensations that come up. And this is huge in things like panic disorder. Um, and what we make them do is figure out like, what are the physical, um, physical sensations you experience when you have anxiety? So often tense shoulders, nausea or dizziness or lightheadedness. And then we do these physical exposures. So we might breathe through a really small straw 
that can that can get the feeling of like chest, chest tightness, um, not not getting enough air in. We might spin around in, in our chairs for a while to get the dizziness. Um, we might put on a winter coat and jog in place to get that that flush, the heat. These and things are really fun to do with patients, by the way. <laughs> you actually have to have you actually have to do them together sometimes, and it's it's really fun. Uh, also terrible sometimes, but it's fun. Not only do you have to do them with patients, but you have to not show a single sign of distress. <laughs> That's how I was trained. <laughs> no heavy breathing, no frowning, you know, so you just, yeah, you have to get through it and just act like it's totally, there's nothing to worry about here. So that can be a challenge. Um, but it's funny because people will say that that module didn't really, it wasn't as impactful, but it's the number one thing that they'll avoid. The homework will be terrible that week because they just won't do the exposures uh-huh. and avoid, avoid, avoid. And so you can tell them that it's actually a really important target. Because they're showing you, I don't like these physical sensations, and I will literally avoid them even uh-huh. when I am supposed to approach them. So, yeah, the, that's the one that I think people have the most contentious relationship with. I think in terms of favorites, I've seen mindfulness be a big favorite. But for another patient I have, it's just like, absolutely not. Like, mindfulness is just not a place she's willing to go. And that's mm-hmm. uh, that's okay. I mean, we we just want open-mindedness. But if it's not right for you, then it's not right for you. That's okay. I like I like how um, you're just reminding me right now about how um, I think when m- many people think about getting treated with with manualized CBTs, which is like this, like it's basically a program that's delivered in the same way to everybody. Mm-hmm. They think, oh God, you're really taking out the personalized part, right? It mm-hmm. just feels like a machine and you're just like a cog in the machine kind of thing. It's not a personal approach, but I think there's a lot of room for that to be personalized. Like we're mm-hmm. teaching all these different skills because some people are going to love mindfulness and some people are going to hate it. And so mm-hmm. if you give them all these different ways to kind of tackle that that um, that, that emotion, like one of them is going to f- like resonate with that person. So I, I do kind of like that approach. Yeah, I, I go back and forth with this and whether I think it's able to be personalized enough. So I've had a few patients through our research protocol, which means that we have to get the sessions done in 16. You know, you, you have to go in order like... And there is a lot of psychoed that happens. And so you tend to fill the space pretty well. It's still personalized because you're still, you know, the cognitive flexibility module, you're still working with their anxious thoughts and helping them come up with new thoughts. You're looking at their behaviors. Um, So it's not just like you read a workbook to them and then they're done. But I will say in everyday therapy, I, I often do like a deconstructed UP where there will be a lot of room for supportive therapy, but I'll be bringing in these skills um, so, you know, oftentimes like starting with mindfulness, just like the UP, and then we'll introduce cognitive flexibility kind of, it's just more slowly over our time together. Um, so in private practice, it can be very flexible. It just depends on your, on your therapist. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Yeah. It's exciting. It's kind of, it's kind of nice. Um, it's kind of nice to have that package. And this is not the only, we're just delving into the UP as one example of transdiagnostic treatment, but Dialectical behavior therapy, we've talked about that a lot. That's also mm-hmm. another example of transdiagnostic treatment. I mean, it was originally developed for um, suicidality. Mm-hmm. And then they're, they, they really had success with BPD and then with, um, you know, depression and all these other all the other issues. And we're biased that we mostly focus on emotion, right? Emotion regulation. That's why 
we've been, we talk <laughs> nonstop about it. I know there's other kinds of approaches that I'm really not as familiar with. Like there's some research and treatment that focuses on like reward systems that's implicated mm. in trans diagnostic process that's involved in like substance use, ADHD, you know, depression. Um, and that is a whole other area that, you know, we've never <laughs> really tackled with our research, but there's a lot of different ways to do this trans diagnostic processes and, the other treatment that I'm training in too, um, transference focused psychotherapy. Uh, I mentioned that before. It's this treatment for, uh, BPD originally, but now it's applied to narcissistic personality disorder and all other kinds of, um, personality disorders because it really targets your identity and mm-hmm. how you see yourself and your role with somebody else within like a relationship. And then how, you know, how you're seeing that other person in that dynamic. And as you can imagine, there's like, it's a problem with BPD, but everyone can struggle with that, right? Like seeing everyone else as critical, seeing everyone else as the perpetrator of their abuse and things like that. So I don't know, it's kind of a cool approach because you could really use all these different treatments for like a wide variety of different patients and see a lot of um, movement and growth. So that's been fun. Yeah, I really want to learn TFP. Yeah. Another another side note. Um, thinking about who this treatment might not be right for, um, I I do think I do think anxiety driven disorders are are probably the best kind of case. Um, I don't think somebody should do this treatment if they're unwilling to do homework, mm-hmm. because that is an essential part of this. There is homework assigned every week, both reading and applying skills. Mm-hmm. I don't think this treatment is right for somebody who is looking to bring daily dilemmas to their therapist mm-hmm. because they're just, I mean, again, you can do kind of the deconstructed model here, which isn't a model. That's just my personal <laughs> approach sometimes to, to the UP. Um, but this is really for building skills and then working to apply them yourself to your daily dilemmas. Um, and that can be really that can be really powerful because the the problem with like a supportive therapy model and I and I like doing supportive therapy too it's like not necessarily against it but is that you can get kind of admired in like conflict after conflict after conflict instead of going for the root issue sometimes mm-hmm. and the UP I think is good at at going for root issues um, which then have you know down the road effects on um, on your everyday life. Yeah, I mean, you make a really good point. And as you're talking, it's still the the problem still jumps out of my mar- mind whenever I think about transdiagnostic treatments is that well, if the UP is not actually good for everybody, mm-hmm. right? If like, this is approach that's supposed to be the one size fits all, what do we do with that? Like transdiagnostic, but like it doesn't work for everybody, and doesn't all work for all problems or disorders. It, it's kind of hard to we're kind of in that in that um dilemma right now where it's like can we one day have one treatment for everything no do we because, want to yeah right <laughs> and and yeah there's some people who don't respond well to the up like people who have mm-hmm. like severe personality disorders don't respond well to the up because they don't want to do homework as you mm-hmm. said and so you would have to work on like motivation and their ability to or, you know, their feelings about homework and authority, right? Or their ability to comply with, like, regular routine things. You might have to get another treatment involved first before you could do that. So we're still in kind of that phase of the the field where it's like, yeah, if we have, like, 
we don't want to play whack-a-mole. We want to hit like one and get a whole bunch um, at the same time. But like, do we have limits to that basically? So I don't know. Open question. I do think this is a treatment that introduces a lot of flexibility. Like, Mm -hmm. because I do think you can do it in a flexible way. I think these are are skills that are essential to a ton of different treatments. And if I see an anxiety disorder, I do kind of immediately think, okay, would the UP fit here? Or would something like the UP fit here? Are are these principles... um, you know, going to be applied in just maybe different ways, but they're the same skills and principles. So yeah, I don't know that we're ever going to find a treatment that's right for everybody. And I think if we did, our jobs would be really boring. That's true. <laughs> well, we we thought it was at least important to talk about the transdiagnostic approach because I, I, I know, especially for loved ones, it can get so overwhelming. You know, a lot of people who are listening to this podcast or, you know, they, they might listen to a couple of our episodes and go, oh, either I or one of my loved ones, friends and family, like, oh, they have OCD, it sounds like. Ah, that really that really speaks to our experience. Oh, they also have anxiety. Oh, no, no, mm-hmm. they also have substance abuse, right? <laughs> like, it's a, a lot of people can feel overwhelmed when a loved one of themselves have, like, so many different problems that they're like, I don't even know how to find a treatment for all of these things. Like, do we do we start with the most intense one first, the one that interferes with like my relationship with them. Uh, it's ruining their job. Like where do, where do you start? And so I think these, this transagnostic approach is like, okay, it, it, it could be more simple than your husband mm-hmm. has like eight different problems. Like it might just be one. He might be running away from his feelings and he might do that in a lot yeah. of problematic ways. And so find a treatment like DBT or the Unified Protocol to kind of address that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really essential. Like he's just running away from his problems in a bunch of different ways, Mm -hmm. but the same core principle is he's running away from his emotions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, He might be running away from his, um, you know, fear of, of chaos or the unknown by, you know, an OCD process, like being terrified of germs and making sure to clean all the time. You might be afraid of experiencing rejection by developing more of like a social anxiety presentation, but it's all just, it's all just avoidance of negative emotions. And the UP really targets that process. So yeah, I do think it's great for loved ones who are trying to find a, a, a treatment and don't know where to go because maybe one therapist specializes in OCD and another specializes in social anxiety disorder. Um, if you've got someone with a transdiagnostic treatment, I think that makes them really powerful. Um, I don't know how many therapists there are at this point who do the UP, because it's fairly new. Um, I think it's pretty common in Boston. We've got some people in North Carolina, certainly. Um, some treatment providers in New York City. But yeah, I mean, this is this is something that is emerging and I think will become more common over time. But I think it would be smart to ask therapists about, you know, do they have a transdiagnostic treatment approach? And then to have them explain that to you. Yeah. I mean, even if it's something like I do CBT for, you know, 
trauma, anxiety, depression, all these different things. And I have training applying the same CBT principles to these different disorders, mm-hmm. right? It's like kind of the same approach. Something like the Unified Protocol makes it official. Like it's like there's a book, you follow the book, everyone does kind of the same thing, but there's a lot of good trained, well-trained therapists out there who know how to do um, transagnostic approach like that. So... Yeah. I also think if any of you are interested in us doing episodes, breaking down each of these skills, that's something we can do. So reach out if you'd like to see that. We can try to teach everyone UP. <laughs> I, I think we should do that, actually. That'd be really yeah, fun. Okay, cool. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to see how you do it because, you know, when, when we're therapists, we just do this in our own, you know, with your patient in our own silo. I would love to see like your style and um, totally. to see like I could learn from that. So that'd be cool. Yeah, well, we've already done mindfulness, so you can start there, but mm-hmm. we can tackle the other skills in future episodes. Okay, Kevi, um, sign us out with some good resources. Yeah, I mean, for the Unified Protocol, check out unifiedprotocol.com. Um, they have patient resources, and I think there's a network where you could find um, a UP provider in that you know in your state. Also, but if you can't and you're still interested in this is in this treatment, um, you could go on Amazon and there's actually the patient workbooks that um, the treatments that work series. I mean, we talked about this all the time, but you could just order it from Amazon and work through things on your own. It is better and easier with a trained therapist, obviously. But if you're curious about it, want to try these skills on your own? There's the Unified Protocol for the Transagnostic Treatment of Emotional Disorders Patient Workbook. Um, just, you know, order it online. And one of the um, authors of the that book is uh, Claire Robbins. So shout out to Claire, because she was a former postdoc in our lab who taught us the unified protocol. So she's yes. an amazing teacher. <laughs> it's a great team that wrote it. So I just we're putting the plug in for them. Absolutely. Okay, thank you, Kivi. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. By accessing this podcast, I acknowledge that the hosts of this podcast make no warranty, guarantee, or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in this podcast. The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only, and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. This podcast and any and all content or services available on or through this podcast are provided for general, non-commercial informational purposes only and do not constitute the practice of medical or any other professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment and should not be considered or used as a substitute for the independent professional judgment, advice, diagnosis, or treatment of a duly licensed and qualified healthcare provider. In case of a medical emergency, you should immediately call 911. The hosts do not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast, and information from this podcast should not be referenced in any way to imply such approval or endorsement.